Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Nihal Advani. He's the founder and CEO at Qualsites. Nihal, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing is really innovative and cool. But before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure, yeah. I grew up in Bombay in India. Oh, cool. Okay. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Yeah, so I actually came to the U.S. Uh, you know, for college, I used to play tennis for India as a, as a, as a junior and uh, came to the U.S. on a tennis scholarship and uh, oh, cool. went to Arkansas for the first couple of years. Um, I, was, I was doing business, um, you know, ended up transferring and finishing up at Stony Brook in Long Island. But yeah, I did, I did business and specialized in marketing. Why? Because um, yeah, that was just where my, my passion lied. It's always been in the, in the marketing world. And so that's why. Okay. Was there, at growing up, like what got you passionate about that space? You know, it's interesting actually. Uh, growing up, all I cared about was tennis. Um, I didn't even okay. want to come to the U.S. for college. I was, uh, you oh, know, wow. things to, to do so because, uh, you know, we didn't have the money for me to go pro. And uh, uh, at the time, obviously, I wasn't so happy. But now I look back and it was the best decision ever. But uh, when I came to the U.S. and I was doing college, I didn't honestly really care too much about academics to begin with because all I focused on was tennis. But my junior year when I was at Stony Brook, I had my first real, because before that I just got all the core courses out in the, in the first two years. And then when I transferred to Stony Brook, uh, I had my first real business course. And, and that one, um, it really inspired me. Uh, I actually uh, followed Google. They make you follow like one company uh, yeah. you know, through that course. And I followed Google. It was Google was like, you know, up and coming at the time. And I was amazed by them and um, ended up, uh, you know, not only falling in love with Google on paper, ended up actually applying for an internship and getting an internship at Google as a result of that. And so that's what got me into the whole tech and media space. Got you. Okay. So walk us through the rest of your career up until Qualsites. Sure, yeah. So after that Google internship, I was super inspired. I ended up picking Microsoft though when I when I graduated. So uh, ended up working there um, five years in a variety of roles. You know, started off with uh, you know being on the live search side, which then of course transitioned to Bing, and then finished up as program manager of the Microsoft Media Network on the on the display, you know, advertising side. Um, always kind of even in my college days was thinking about doing something entrepreneurial, but uh, wanted to kind of learn the ropes first and kind of get uh, be a part of a big company first before I did that. And so in 2012 is actually when I made the leap uh, and I transitioned to, into my own company. Okay. So how did you come up with the idea and, and what exactly is it? Yeah. So, um, you know, the original idea is very different from where we are now. Um, the, it was quite an interesting journey, but uh, what we do now um, as Qualsites uh, is really we're a software platform that allows companies to get deeper and more authentic insights from consumers anywhere in the world allowing them to essentially build better brands and products. Um, so we have a platform that helps them understand human behavior 
can do that efficiently um, and authentically, but at scale, thanks to uh, various capture methodologies that we offer, as well as uh, great AI that helps them analyze this faster. Okay, so before we dive deeper into that, what did the company start off as? I'm always curious to, to learn about the journey of the company, because you guys have been around a long time. Yeah, it's actually, we just celebrated a 10 year anniversary a couple oh, days congrats. ago. That's awesome. Yeah, so it was a very interesting and very weird journey in some ways, because I quit Microsoft to start a travel planning company. We were called Georama. Uh, we still okay. legally are called Georama Inc. We're doing business as call sites, ironically. But uh, Georama was essentially a travel planning platform that helped consumers plan, book, and share their trips. So I was, you know, very much I'm a big traveler. My family's a big travel family, and uh, you know, kind of had a passion for travel, and uh, decided to, to build a platform that did that, and recommended, uh, you know, destinations to go to. We had a whole recommendation engine to help you find where to go, and then plan, book, and share your trip. Um, we did that for a couple of years, uh, you know, had a decent amount of users, but were struggling to make real money. And that's where we decided to pivot uh, the first time uh, to virtual travel. So in about 2014 or so, we did something really novel where we said, hey, you know, let's do something unique while still being in travel. And we kind of turned everything on set and said, you know, there's all these people that want to travel, but can't travel. What if we help them virtually travel through live video? This was pre-Periscope, pre-Mirror pre-Instagram, Facebook Live and all that good stuff. And so it was quite novel and uh, allowed people to kind of see the world through somebody else's eyes who was on the ground there. Started right. off with tourism, but did education, did, you know, virtual field trips. We even worked with NASA to help, you know, kids go to NASA virtually and uh, worked at several universities for campus tours and inspections and all, all kinds of different things. We were basically all over the place because we had this great live video technology that helped people be where they couldn't be. Uh, but what we found is we were trying to be jack of all trades and we really wanted to kind of own one vertical. And so in 2017, we decided to get into 500 startups out in the valley and we used that program with a singular focus to find the one vertical that we could really kind of get into and own and okay. ironically after doing a whole bunch of research we found that research and insights is where we should go and that's where we made in 2018 the hard pivot uh, to call sites got it okay so how did you decide like okay you said but what made you gather enough data to say this is where we need to go because that in itself can be really scary and challenging to make that pivot, right? Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, so we, we learned a lot of interesting techniques, uh, one of which uh, was, um, you know, just, a, I mean, now it's so prevalent, but back then it was quite uh, early days, uh, but, you know, sales uh, sequencing, email sequencing for sales. And so we basically had, you know, a few different verticals. We had some messaging and some sequences that we created, like email campaigns, basically, uh, you know, that went out uh, to a wide variety of you know relevant individuals in a few different verticals to kind of see our open rates to see our response rates and to see you know who was more interested and you know where were we kind of getting um, a lot of you know better responses and so that was one key way we kind of used at scale to kind of really figure out okay wow there's there's real value here in this industry but we of course had you know several uh, conversations with you know potential clients as well as industry you know executives and people who've been there done that um, showed them our technology. And so it was kind of a, a variety of different, uh, you know, efforts that we did uh, over a few months that then helped us, you know, solidify that, okay, yes, it is, it is uh, research and insights where we should put it to. Got it. Okay. So let's dive a little bit deeper into what the product is today. How do people actually use it from uh, a company side and, and then from like a user side? Yeah. So, yeah, we're B2B in that, you know, our clients are CPG companies, pharma, retail, tech, 
Uh, and on their end, they basically get access to our web platform that helps them you know, set up projects to capture uh, data in a variety of different ways, and then analyze that data through a suite of AI tools we offer, as well as present that data to their stakeholders all within the platform. On the consumer side, because this is research on consumers, so you've got consumers who actually download our app, we have a mobile you know, app for consumers who basically you know, raise their hands to take part in research studies. Um, and they're picked, they're selected based on demographic, geographic, psychographic criteria. Um, you know, for every different, different project, there's, you know, uh, what's called a recruiting screener. And we use that to, to find the, you know, prospective uh, consumers for that project. And then they download an app and get in for that project. And they have a series of tasks and questions that they tend to have to complete as part of finishing that project. So that's how it works on both sides. Got it. Okay. So can you give us some examples of a campaign? that you don't have to give company names, but how they use the platform and then what does the user actually have to do at the store or whatever it is? Absolutely, yeah. So we do a wide variety of things. Uh, you know, a lot of work we do is around uh, innovation and renovation. So whether it be early white stage, kind of a white space rather, um, kind of exploration where, you know, people, uh, clients will do diary studies where let's say for a certain category, they want to see how you know, just as an example, like how uh, they feed their pets, you know, on a right. daily basis over the course, including treats and other things over the course of a, a week, let's say. So that's like seeing what happens, seeing what they do, you know, kind of figuring out gaps at a very kind of early, early stage. There's other projects that we do at the concept stage. So let's say there is a concept for cereal that, uh, you know, uh, a company is coming up with uh, or multiple concepts rather, and they'll test them where consumers are looking at those concepts, but react to them, reacting to them on video and therefore being able to kind of have a really, from a client perspective, being able to see the gut instant reaction to the concept and hear them verbally and visually uh, see them, you know, react to that concept. So that's another example or uh, things like, um, you know, even shopping, right? So uh, in store, so let's say you want to see how people shop for a certain category. Uh, consumers yeah. will then take our app into the store and show us and, you know, verbally kind of talk aloud as they're shopping for that category in terms of what they notice first and, you know, you know what they what they value whether it's price so you know other other kind of factors and they basically have a series of tasks and questions on their screen in the app that they proceed through almost like a self-moderated video survey if you may uh, that allows them to then you know kind of follow along and kind of answer the questions while still showing what they see got it okay so i, I guess okay okay so i run this campaign as a company I get a bunch of users to go through and, and do the campaign. Then what happens? Yeah, so the data is automatically, you know, it's collected in real time, uploaded in real time. Sometimes there's also live interviews, by the way, they may be having a live conversation with the consumer. So whether it's a recorded video that then gets quickly uploaded or whether it's a live conversation in the, in the first hand that then gets saved, uh, okay. all of that's in our cloud. Uh, clients get access to that, but more importantly, uh, for every single video um, or audio, other kinds of uh, media as well, we basically will take anything that has audio, we'll basically transcribe. If it's in a different uh, language other than English, we'll also translate. So we can do this in over 100 languages where we'll transcribe and translate things. We then cool. use natural language processing to basically uh, you know, generate relevant keywords and topics that our clients can kind of, in a very quick way, leverage to kind of quickly find moments that matter. Let's say, for example, clicking on the word healthy and being able to go to all the moments where people are talking about a healthy drink or healthy foods or whatever it may be in that project. And so making it very easy for them using these, you know, topics and keywords to quickly find moments that matter. We also do sentiment and emotion analysis, you know, based on what was said and how it was said. 
Um, we do object and scene recognition. So in terms of if you want to click on the, you know, this object shelf, it will go right to when they were at a shelf in a store. So again, very quick and easy to use tools to allow our clients, so even if they, you know, looking at videos from, you know, 30, 50, 100 people, being, allowing them to very quickly find the moments that are most, you know, relevant. Um, and uh, that's what our AI kind of helps do. We also then have, of course, a presentation capability where they can simply drag and drop uh, the clips that they think are most relevant. They create themes because typically when doing qualitative research like this, you know, you're basically, uh, the whole uh, goal is to kind of come up with themes based on the research and then present them somewhere. In the past, this used to be based on quotes, but of course, ours is a video platform, so it's very powerful, compelling story-based, uh, storytelling-based presentations and video reels, basically, that they can create using, uh, using our platform. Uh, and it's just, um, you, know, you don't have to be a professional video editor or anything. It's a very simple, easy-to-use, drag-drop, um, you know, uh, kind of system. Got it. Okay. So I'm a company. I collected this research. I did what you just talked about. If I mm -hmm. want to follow up with one of those users, do I have the ability to do that? Or sorry, like the people that shot that video, for example. Yes, you do. You do. And so as part of the platform, we have a messaging tool as well. So they may have, okay. let's say, two or three activities that they complete, let's say, like an intro activity about themselves, where they're right. using the selfie video to kind of kind of answer some questions on their screen to then maybe going in store and shopping for a product where it's you know, the rear camera and they're kind of capturing that uh, process and then perhaps bringing a product home and unboxing and using it. Right. So. They right. could have those three activities, and then when the client is looking at those activities, they may have sometimes follow-up questions for them. They can easily message them at any time with the app and uh, ask them questions. Got it. Okay. And so I'm curious then to dive a little bit deeper with maybe some more kind of concrete examples, just so if any companies are listening out there, like, can you maybe give some idea? examples like and i guess the simple one that i would think of is like if they launch a new i don't know like drink for example in like a can that like you say go find this in x store and tell me how quick it was or how f quick it was to find it or how easy it was and then their thoughts on the packaging is that the kind of stuff that you guys are doing or, or give us some maybe examples like that yeah all kinds of stuff um you know that that's definitely one example so I'll give you like a kind of a, a case study, if you may, um, you sure, know, without you know, sharing uh, client names and everything. But there's basically a global, you know, manufacturer of um, uh, shampoo, uh, okay. uh, one of the top, you know, shampoo providers. Uh, and for the anti-dandruff uh, shampoo, uh, they basically, you know, way they had one product, right? So they just had one product, and uh, they realized that there was perhaps potentially a need to diversify that product in that having like a version or flavor of that product for heavy dandruff sufferers and okay. also then for light dandruff sufferers. But they, you know, they always had just one product and it essentially had only one, you know, one messaging, one packaging. And so they sought to use us to kind of figure out how do they, you know, have the right messaging and the right concepts for those two different groups, the light dandruff sufferers and the heavy dandruff sufferers. And so what they did was they essentially recruited a bunch of consumers. They, I believe it was like 30 each uh, in each group. Um, and over the course of about a week, they basically did a diary study with our platform where every day these consumers were asked, anytime they had a flare up of dandruff, they were asked to kind of record a video, you know, kind of talk about what happened and how they're feeling. They also had a variety of other activities just to understand their homes and their own, you know, behavior. So they did activities like, you know, show us all the products you currently use, you know, for your hair care routine. 
um, this client had and any any client for that matter is it's it's you can't be in a shower right with the, with the consumer. Right. So the closest next best thing was our app that allowed them to actually have just the audio on and actually talk about you know their routine while they're in the shower right before and right after. And so that got them as close as possible to being in the shower without being there without obviously having any kind of video. But that was another example of an activity that they did to kind of understand someone's routine. Uh, they then, based on this data, uh, actually had a couple of concepts that they quickly iterated on. And for each group, they kind of gave them a few concepts in terms of you know, what the product would do and what the messaging was. And these right. consumers then reacted to that concept. They got the quick feedback from those consumers and very quickly again, were able to iterate that and have a next set of concepts that they had them react to a couple of days later. And through that process, they essentially were able to not just understand the differences between these two user groups uh, and what matters to them, but also be able to kind of really be able to fine tune the right messaging, the right packaging uh, for uh, their products to so to better tailor them to those target consumers and uh, were able to have a very successful launch thereafter. Got it. No, very cool. I, I think that's really fascinating to be able to, because you're right, most brands can't get in somebody's home and, and get that kind of live, well, I guess when they probably consume it, it's not live, but it's live feedback while I'm using the product exactly. that can be watched later. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, if you think of traditional quality research, it was always, you know, getting people to a central location, like a focus group room, essentially, and having them kind of talk about stuff. But while that may be fine to understand perhaps your brand preferences or something high level, uh, it's a really poor way to do behavior because you're basically relying on recall. It's like saying, hey, Kevin, when you went to the store last week to shop for groceries, what did you notice first? And you have no right. idea because our mind doesn't save that kind of information. Versus with our platform, what they're able to do is tap into consumers as they're doing things in the moment, whether that's cooking, cleaning, shopping, eating, whatever it may be, and truly get in the moment insights, contextual insights, uh, and get a video of it happening in that consumer's natural environment, which is much more powerful than you're bringing them into a room in a focus group somewhere. Um, and so that's really what we are, um, you know, helping our clients and just the industry in general kind of move towards is to deeper, more authentic and more contextual research. No, that's, that's fascinating. And I actually think the other thing that I just in user testing and stuff that I've done in the past, mm -hmm. when you have the video of somebody shopping, for example, just because they're saying something doesn't mean they're actually doing the same thing. And I Absolutely. always find that really, really useful because they, they could be like, yeah, I found your product right away. And they're like shooting it. And you're like, that's not the product at all or or whatever. Right. But it's Absolutely. fascinating to get that data because if they screw that up, other people are probably doing the same thing and then you can fix it, right? 100%, absolutely. This happens all the time, right? So having someone say something, someone may think they do something a certain way, but when you actually watch them, they yeah. don't even realize that they're doing it some other way, right? And so being able to see there's no better way to do research than to actually see it happen. Um, and, uh, you, yeah, there's many surprising, uh, you know, insights that can kind of come out of that where people say something, but when you see them do it, it's, it's definitely different. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's, that's where the whole point of research is to be able to kind of really get that real contextual stuff. No, that that's very cool. Um, I, I, I guess just quickly, um, congrats on being uh, fastest growing company in Illinois and the fourth in the mid midwest region I, I think that's awesome good good job that's awesome thanks so much yeah we were really uh 
excited by the the Inc uh, rankings we got recently. And yeah, it turned out we are the fourth fastest growing fast fastest growing like first fastest growing company overall in Illinois, fastest growing software company in the Midwest, and fourth fastest growing software company in the U.S. So we were like super delighted. And then just a few weeks after, in fact, a few days ago. Uh, we got a Financial Times ranking, um, you know, in the America's fastest growing companies list, and that's across North, Central, and South America. And we ranked 57 across the entire Americas, one ahead of Zoom, which blew my mind. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Congrats, man. That's huge. Technology. So we've been really pumped with these uh, recent rankings. That's awesome, man. Good. That's great. Um, Thank you. So I want to dive a little bit into, you guys also offer a video feedback kiosk what exactly is that and how does that tie into everything we've talked about so far today yeah that's a kind of new thing we actually kind of scaled that back during COVID, obviously because people don't want to touch screens but now we're uh yeah. bringing that back a little bit but it's a, it's a newer thing it's uh right now just a kind of beta uh but what it is is kind of typically what we're doing of course is you know mobile app based where consumers can take the app anywhere and of course you know therefore it's whether it's in home in store wherever it may be and this is used by you know cpg pharma etc but in the retail world, um, there's an interesting opportunity to actually piggyback off of the consumers that are already in the store, the foot traffic that already is there, where imagine like today, if you, if you notice, like, you know, sometimes you'll have these stores that will have on the receipt, you know, maybe text us for feedback or some sort of, you know, simple way to kind of get feedback, which yeah. most people obviously don't even notice. There's some other companies that are doing some text message based thing. They'll have a poster that says, okay, text XYZ for feedback. But um, it's all text-based versus with our platform and our kiosk, particularly what a retail outlet can choose to do is essentially place this in an end cap or wherever they, are, wherever they decide to in some strategic location and have a very quick video feedback kind of session from a consumer where they've just shopped for something and you could ask them, you know, okay, how they felt about, you know, that experience, really getting that uh, customer experience uh, in the moment and not requiring them to download an app or anything. It's right there and in exchange allowing the consumers in the store to actually get a discount on their, on their purchase. So it's, it's a kind of win-win situation where the retailer gets feedback uh, that they can use and even share sometimes with their, you know, their, their brands. Uh, but then also, of course, uh, the consumer gets an incentive for, for doing so. Very cool. No, I, I think that's really great. So I'm curious then, how do you monetize the platform? Yeah, so we're, we're a SaaS platform um, and our clients pay uh, for the platform essentially either a subscription basis uh, or yeah. a project basis. So we have both options. The project based is uh, approach is something that allows, you know, clients who are new to us to come in, try a few projects, and then they tend to typically, you know, upgrade to a subscription. And then sometimes we've got agencies, you know, agencies get paid by projects, so they prefer to stay paying by project. So we right. leave that option for them. Uh, but, um, you know, subscription, of course, has, you know, the ability for them to kind of do research at any time over the year and, you know, give them discounts for kind of having that subscription and so on. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious, you mentioned earlier, you've celebrated 10 years as kind of being an entrepreneur. What have you learned along the way? Because you've had obviously to change some things around, you've tried some ideas, um, and now you're one of the fastest growing companies in, in North America. So like, what advice do you give to people? Because obviously we all know it's a bit of a roller coaster ride sometimes. Absolutely, no, it's a lot. Well, of course, a lot of the time, and uh, it's something where, you know, I, I, I always kind of use this way. It's like the three P's, I call it, right? It's okay. passion, pivot, and persistence is what I think we've done really, really well. Um, so passion, of course, you have to be super passionate 
about what we're doing. Otherwise you can't last this long, you know, with all the ups and downs you're going to have as an entrepreneur, if you don't have like some serious level of passion for what you're doing, um, it's going to be very hard for you to stay the course. So that's one. Um, pivot is something we obviously, we, this was our third, you know, uh, pivot. And so, you know, being flexible, being, being, having the willingness and the ability to pivot, whether it's small changes here and there or massive changes, like we've had to make a couple of times uh, completely switching industries and technologies and things like that. But being able to kind of just stay on top of what, you know, your client needs are and what the macro trends are and being able to kind of adjust uh, is what allows you to kind of, you know, adapt and stay ahead. So that's another important thing because most companies you'll find most startups they they start as something but they almost always finish off as something else whether it's a real big expansion of that idea or whether it's a complete change like in our case uh and then finally of course persistence right you just really gotta just persevere and kind of stay on it because as you've seen in our case right for, for years we struggled and then only in the last three or three and a half years now i mean we just you know had a you know really amazing growth but it took a lot of time and it took a lot of energy, passion, persistence, and pivoting to finally get to the moment uh, where we're now scaling really well. Sure. So did you bootstrap? Did you raise some money? A bit of both? Walk us through that. A bit of both. You know, when I first started, I, I bootstrapped it for a couple of years, and then we raised some money, uh, but just angel funds. And so, you know, uh, later this year, we'll probably go institutional, um, but uh, otherwise, we've just had some angel funds over the course of the last, you know, 10 years in bits and pieces. Um, and we've been kind of really fortunate to have some amazing uh, angel investors, uh, you know, on, on our on our team here. And so uh, a lot of the folks, you know, uh, in, in, in Chicago that are very prominent investors, but also in our industry as well. Um, so we've been uh, really fortunate to have the, the group we have. Very cool. So I'm curious, was there anything from your tennis playing days that you've been able to apply to being an entrepreneur? 100%. You know, I think... Uh, uh, a lot of the qualities uh, I've been able to kind of benefit from comes from my my discipline uh, and my dedication and my passion and the uh, you know persistence in the in the tennis days right you learn all those things playing a sport competitive especially playing a sport competitively um, you know I used to you know play internationally uh, you know all the time play for India and stuff in the juniors and so um, it really kind of and then of course in what's even more interesting is when you come to the U.S. for college tennis it becomes a team sport. And so then you learn all kinds of team uh, dynamics and, uh, you know, because you're basically unlike, uh, you know, when you're just going pro or playing, you know, yourself in the juniors, you're playing, you know, singles and things like that. But oh, even if it's doubles, just you and one more. But in, in college tennis, it's a whole team sport where it's a point system and you're all kind of working together to kind of cheer each other on and kind of uh, it's there's a lot of strategy involved as well. And so I think the, the college tennis part of things was a lot of the team dynamics and all of that, uh, whereas just in general, just having a competitive sport. In my background allowed me to kind of really my, my focus is very very strong and uh just uh have, have been through a lot of ups and downs even in the, in the tennis days of course and being able to kind of you know with you know, just kind of withstand those and just kind of keep going uh is definitely a trade i learned in those days interesting no I, that's it's fascinating right because i find so many things from kind of early in our life can really be helpful like down the road, especially being an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So I'm curious now that kind of, well, hopefully the pandemic is coming to an end. Um, yeah. How has the pandemic kind of changed your business? Has it made it, you know, obviously it's probably sped it up a bit because people are want 
more and more data from consumers and they weren't going, you know, in person as much? Or how has the pandemic changed your business and how much do you think it'll go back to kind of pre-pandemic? Or are we kind of, what are your predictions, I guess, is the best question. Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, I think the, the, our industry in general, especially on the quality of side, definitely got accelerated by uh, the, the pandemic because um, there was all of the, the, you know, quality of research until recently has been kind of a legacy kind of, you know, uh, technology, legacy kind of business, industry. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, companies in this space were doing, as mentioned, like in-person interviews and focus groups and, you know, those sorts of things and uh, weren't typically, some of them were, of course, but like several of them weren't willing to kind of switch that to digital, even though digital was equally, you know, powerful. With the pandemic, many of them got forced because there was no right. other way. And at the same time, the pandemic was a, you know, there were some companies, it was interesting to see some companies when the pandemic started, like they stopped research. They were like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Budgets are tight, so on and so forth. Other companies actually went on the offensive and it's those companies that have really come out on top because they, you know, really realized, hey, this is a moment where we need to truly stay on the pulse of the consumer and consumer behavior and kind of really be able to adapt and, you know, meet consumer needs to kind of get through this and, you know, come out on top after it. Um, and so that's been, that's been an interesting thing. But what's um, from, you know, our perspective and just our industry as a whole, um, you know, other uh, companies like ours, uh, it's been in a way, almost um, a fast forwarding of sorts, which without the pandemic, it would probably taken a few more years for people to digitize versus right. with the people have digitized. And now that they've tried these digital platforms, whether it's simply doing your focus group or interview online, which is the, the basic stuff one can do, or it'd be doing the more advanced things like we promote. We, we offer both, by the way. We do offer interviews and focus groups as well. But we, of course, urge our clients to do the more contextual behavioral stuff with you know, mobile and in the moment uh, technologies. And so, um, they now have a taste for that. And they realize whether it's even the simple interviews or whether it's the, the deeper stuff, um, it's great. You know, they, and the fact that these digital platforms give them all of the AI capabilities and things like that, I think um, now they're kind of stuck. And so we don't believe uh, people that, yeah, maybe for certain types of projects, occasionally there will be some in-person work. Um, but otherwise, for the most part, I think the industry has had a, a fast forwarding of sorts to digital. And it's here to stay. No, I, I agree with you. I, I'm curious, do you have any other predictions for kind of the future of, of retail in the space? Because I know a number of years ago, obviously, everybody thought that brick and mortar was going to totally disappear because everybody was ordering things online and it maybe was heading that direction. I think it's kind of settled down a bit. But do you have any other predictions of kind of the future of retail or anything else related to that? Yeah, retail is interesting, right? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's always been kind of, especially even, I mean, even pre-pandemic, right? And then pandemic as well, but it's somehow managed to kind of stay around and it, it's here to stay too. It's just different, right? I think as time goes on for retailers to, you know, you'll see, you know, you already see uh, even pre-pandemic and then during, of course, so many stores cut back and reduced, you know, uh, the amount of stores they had and all those sorts of things, which makes sense. But on the flip side, you'll also start to see, I believe, you know, more experiential, um, retail, because uh, right. the more they can make, the one thing that is hard on the digital, like it's just a, for example, like impulse purchase or other kinds of things, like just the ability to kind of walk through something and like see things around and kind of explore new products is much easier typically in, in the physical world and much more, you know, perhaps exciting than in the digital world, at least today. And so uh, I think the, the retailers that kind of really focus on that and tailor the experience um, you know, to cater to that, um, I think would uh, 
be the ones that will continue to kind of stick around and, and go. Yeah, that's fair. And I think even just something as simple as an example is like, I'm just like buying jeans for me, for example. It's mm -hmm. once I have like a brand and I know my waist and length size of that brand, mm -hmm. I, I'm happy to order online, but I need to go to that physical store, you know, at least once to figure out what that is. Right. And I might go back just because I'm at the mall or whatever. But I think right. in a lot of cases, people still need to at least visit your physical location, you know, once or maybe a few times a year just to kind of get, make sure their sizing is right in the, in the clothing space. And we can give examples in, in different other re vertical retail space. Right. But, and mm -hmm. I think sometimes too, is it's like, I need shampoo, for example. It's like, all, I need to go now to the store because I need it now for, to shower later. Right. Like where you, sure you can get sometimes like hour later delivery, but I think sometimes it's just like people just need to go. Right. And I think that kind of got lost in translation when everybody was like, let's just get rid of retail. For example, right, exactly. if I get back to even your jeans example, right on one end, okay. It's sizing is one piece, but I mean, jeans, for example, it's so hard. And I know this is just me, but like these colors are so similar. Right. And yeah. did you like, wow, it's super hard to tell. I can imagine versus True. in person, at least you go, you can touch and feel, and you know, they may have new fits, new fabrics. And so being able to truly kind of experience those is sometimes essential. Um, and then of course, once you, you know, you like X, Y, Z, then of course you can keep reordering online. So having that blend, I, I agree is, uh, is, is great. No, very cool. So I'm also kind of curious to get your thoughts on, you, you've been in this, in different spaces as an entrepreneur and you've obviously been able to pivot like we've covered throughout the show, but how did you know, or what advice did you, you give to people to actually go for that pivot? Because it, you have this idea and you love it and you want to keep working on it and you might have a bit of traction, but it's just not enough to keep kind of going. And, but it can be really hard to basically just, you know, turn the ship around and, and go a different direction instead of kind of keep trying to force that, like you kind of have traction. Mm -hmm. do, do you know what I'm getting at? 100%. I have faced this a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a very challenging thing, right? Like if hindsight's 2020, yeah. looking back and be like, Oh yeah, we could have cut this short, done this thing, gone here, gotten here faster. But in reality, when you're actually in there, like it's these learnings over time that eventually, you know, get you where you are. We wouldn't have been here if it weren't for all the learnings and the ups and downs that we had. And the way we did it, I mean, it was hard. I mean, like, so we started off that travel planning platform, right? Super cool platform, you know, till today, there's still nothing like it. Um, and so it was really cool product, but, um, uh, and we had great, you know, we had, we were on TechCrunch multiple times. I mean, people, people really loved the product, but um, at the same time, we weren't making money. But because people love the product, we were hopeful and we we're like, hey, you know, let's just keep going. Let's keep going. You know, we have more users. And now keep in mind, we are also a Chicago based company and uh, Chicago VCs are much more conservative, unlike the Valley um, right. in terms of kind of made, taking early bets. And so we didn't raise big money. We just raised some angel money. And so, you know, it was not that we could have just, you know, had a boatload of cash and just kind of kept going. We had to be, you know, uh, building a real business, you know, and in a way that kind of worked out for us because being in, in the Midwest forced us to think like, hey, let's focus on fundamentals of the business. And when the fundamentals weren't working long enough, that's when we had to make the tough calls. I mean, I remember talking to my tech team 
and telling them, like, hey guys, yeah, we're just gonna scrap all of this. You know, obviously didn't say it that way, but like we're gonna scrap all of this and then switch to virtual travel. And you know, people lost their minds. I mean, for the first few minutes at least, they're like, wait, what? Um, and of course, once you explain to them, like, okay, hey, this is why, you know, and this new thing is much more exciting, it's much more novel, we can do this, why this. And you know, then people get on board and they realize that yes, while they've done all this work and especially in the tech side, a lot of that work will get lost. Um, it was a great learning experience to get us to the next spot. And we've been fortunate to have a very uh, amazingly flexible and uh, you know, supportive team uh, that has kind of uh, been able to kind of get behind us uh, even throughout these periods. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. So I'm curious then n now, do mm -hmm. you think being in a geographic region matters? Because what you just said, obviously the Valley is a little bit more they're 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 willing to take more of a risk right where maybe other parts of the world aren't but do you think it really matters this day and age where you're located geographically not anymore so it, if you ask me even 10 years ago it didn't right but okay. to VCs, um it did uh, so it's interesting right. when you company the the common like thesis more there was exceptions but most vcs out west uh the common thing was like hey yeah you've got to be here if you're investing in early we want you to be close by and that was just the traditional way of thinking. And that was, it was going on for years and there were some exceptions, but for the most part, that was the consensus. With the pandemic, that's another thing that changed, right? Because everyone again was forced virtual, people weren't meeting each other in person anyway. And then they realized, yeah, this, this Zoom thing is not so bad, right? And so uh, with that, I think more and more funds have started to realize, hey, I mean, even just the macro trends with globalization and things, they, you know, they're having China funds and India funds and kind of doing all of that. And of course they have teams there. But in general, I think they've also started to realize, you know, you know, the Valley has bloated valuations and you've got the Midwest that, you know, has much more reasonable valuations yet great companies. And so uh, there's talent everywhere. And even now the talent pools are moving, right? Earlier, they were all flocking to, you know, the key tech hubs, but now they're wanting being able to work remote and therefore can be anywhere and now can, you know, work from anywhere for any company. And so all of these things have changed during the pandemic that now, uh, I truly, I've always believed, but now I think many others also believe that location is no longer important and therefore uh, you see funds investing a lot more uh, all over. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's, I, I've never thought it mattered, but I think now it just doesn't really matter. You can build anything great. And I think having Absolutely. access to a global talent pool, because we all know how hard it is to find good tech talent, right? Uh, yep. Anywhere, never mind locally. <laughs> So, but um, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, the company, and any other links you want to mention? Sure, absolutely. So uh, company website is qualsets.com. That's Q-U-A-L-S-I-G-H-T-S.com. Um, you know, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Mihal Advani, N-I-H-A-L, last name's A-D-V-A-N-I. Uh, but yeah, those are perhaps the, the two key uh, ways uh, to find us. Perfect, Nihal. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. Same here. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future. <laughs>